0: I believe that the bible is god's written revelation to humans the word of god is verbally inspired in every word inerrant in the original documents infallible and god-breathed the bible constitutes the only infallible rule of faith and practice god spoke in his written word by a process of dual authorship the holy spirit so superintended the human authors that through their individual personalities and different styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's words to man, without error, in the whole or in the part. I believe there is but one living and true God, an infinite, all-knowing spirit, perfect in all of his attributes, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. Hello and welcome everybody to the Book of Jews. So glad you can join us. I think it's been a few weeks now. Work has been busy. How has your life been? Not everybody at once. All right, let's keep moving. I am, we started a series called uh, The Big Book of Bible Difficulties. And so we've been going through problem passages, as I like to call them. But I I noticed something. I want to give context. and, And I think that, you know, I, we need to know the context in which we're investigating these problem passages. So we're going to slow down a little bit. We're going to decrease speed. And so before attending uh, to the next problem passage, we're going to go over some of the um, passages of Scripture that we kind of glossed over. And I really want you to understand, I've really been, uh, I guess, in prayer and in, in and just trying to do God's will in this because this, this platform is, is not mine. It's, it's God. So I really uh, feel that we need to uh, take a step back and teach the Bible. I mean, um, that's all I want to do is teach God's words. And, and so I want to do it correctly. So I have um, a lot of, uh, we have commentary Bible study Bible out notes and et cetera. So um the last couple weeks if if especially last week we went over we're talking about Abraham and and him lying and and all of these things so I just wanted to if you have your bibles open up to Genesis chapter 12 and we're just going to go through it a little bit I'm not it's not going to be word for word it's not going to be very um detailed in sense I mean you might want to take some notes and have things to write and write on but uh, I just want to give you some context. I just, just don't want to pick these things out and let's talk about the problem passages. So before we move on with that, I want to kind of pair it up with scripture. So since we started off with just the problem passages, let's go back and talk about uh, what's going on in Genesis chapter twelve. So obviously Abraham is uh, doing making the journey to Egypt, um, and so we see the this this covenant. So, the covenant that's offered to Abraham. So, this is the introduction to that. This everlasting covenant has four elements to it. Number one being seed, which refers us to Christ. Number two is land. Number three is a nation. And number four is divine blessing and protection. So this covenant is unconditional in the sense of its ultimate fulfillment of a kingdom and salvation for Israel, but conditional in terms of immediate fulfillment. Its national importance to Israel is magnified by its repeated references and point of appeal throughout the Old Testament. Its importance spiritually to all believers is, is expounded on by Paul. We see this in Galatians 3 and 4. Stephen quotes it. He actually quotes Genesis 12, 1 in Acts 7, 3. And so let's let's go back and let's uh, find these points of reference uh, that we're talking about. All right, so starting off Genesis chapter 12, let's just read what God told Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country And from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So let's flip over a few pages going forward to Genesis chapter 17 so we can take a deeper look at this. Verse 1 chapter 17 verse 1 of Genesis. Now when Abram was 99 years old the Lord appeared to Abram and said I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram "...fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, "'As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, "'and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. "'No longer shall your name be called Abram, "'but your name shall be Abraham. "'For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations.'" I will make you exceed, exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout generations for the everlast for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. The actual Abrahamic covenant is introduced in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. But it's actually made in Genesis 15 and reaffirmed in Genesis 17. And then it's renewed also with Isaac in chapter 26 and Jacob in chapter 28. I would also like to point out in Genesis 12 verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, uh, he being Abram, who had appeared to him. So an altar unto the Lord. So by this act, Abram made an open confession of his religion, established worship of the true God, and declared his faith in God's promise. This is very important. So this was the first true place of worship ever erected in the promised land. And we will see Isaac later, he would build an altar to commemorate the Lord's appearance to him in Genesis chapter 26. And then Jacob also built one in Shechem, Genesis 33. Reading in the commentary, John Walton reminds us that God is uh, offering a lot to Abram, but he's asking him to abandon his land, abandon his family, his, his blessing, his inheritance, so the in, the initiative offers much, but its cost is significant. Abram must trust Yahweh to deliver what he has offered in order to give up so much that Abram has already gained. So in doing this, in accepting this, and, and following Yahweh's uh, commands, think about everything that Abram has to give up. So Walton wants us to look at the double contrast this covenant has with what we see in the previous chapters of Genesis. So with the attention being on Babel, the Tower of Babel story, there the people settled and wanted to make a name for themselves. As was discussed in the last chapter, this is Walton speaking, that was not so much offensive behavior as it was an indicator of what was important to them, the people. So here, God, back in chapter 12, here God is aware of what will mean something to Abram and offers to settle him in a land and make his name great. So again, here God is aware of what will mean something to Abram and offers to settle him in a land and make his name great. So let's, uh, Walton continues, and I, w- I really want you to think about this. And remember, speaking of the Tower of Babel, against the background of God's plan to construct a temple city on earth, the account of the building of the city of Babel, uh, Babylon takes on special significance. In spite of its brevity, it brings the opening chapters of Genesis to a notable climax. Having turned away from God, people intuitively set about Building a city exclusively for themselves. The Babel Babylon episode highlights two contrasting aspects of human existence. The capacity um, of people, the capacity of people to achieve great things and the hubris of humans who have rejected God's sovereignty over them. What a wealth of human means converge in the single image of Babel. On one side, we can see the human longings for community, achievement, civilization, culture, technology, safety, security, permanence, and fame. But countering these aspirations, we sense the moral judgment against idolatry, pride, self-reliance, the urge of material power, and the human illusion of infinite achievement. While in one sense the construction of Babel Babylon is a natural consequence of people using divinely given abilities. They do so without regard for the one who gifted them. Their aspirations are to dethrone God, not only on earth, but in, in heaven as well, constructed by people for people alone. Babylon is... A mockery of what God intended when he created humans and commissioned them to be his temple city builders. Babel typifies every human enterprise that seeks to exalt the creature over the creator. And that was from Paradise to the Promised Land, Desmond Alexander. Um, yeah, so uh, doing something for God. We we have to do something that God may create something for God for him to be able to come down we have to assist him God doesn't need us uh, to do so I wanted to share that in lieu of our study in Genesis but I find it very noteworthy to see that uh, the creation was trying to assist the creator as if he couldn't do so in his own will the issues of land and family also have significance here with regard to the role of deity In the ancient world, many deities were associated with land or with people groups, so nations, tribes, clans, families. Walton continues, The gods were portrayed respectively as territorial deities or as patron deities. Thus, when Abram is asked to put his land and his family behind him, the request entails walking away from any territorial or patron gods. That's huge. Not only walking away from family, this is just my thoughts, uh, his inheritance, his blessing, his land, he's walking away from any potential territorial gods of his land. Back to Walton. Though Abram is not specifically asked to set aside his other gods, his cutting ties with country, people, and household will create a divine void in the typical personal religious practice of the day. This is very important when we talk about uh, when Abram first makes an altar to Yahweh. Let's look at this story. Genesis, we're still in Genesis 12, but starting with verse 13. Please say, this is Abram talking to Sarah, please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Now, this is Abraham telling Sarah, his wife, to lie. Um, They were half-brother and sister, but they were fully married, so uh, that's not going to fly. Verse 14, It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, speaking of Sarah. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to uh, Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now this is very problematic. Verse 16, Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and, and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, "'What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife?' Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Verse 20, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Pharaoh, the monarch of Egypt, humiliated Abram with his questions, showing more character than Abram gave him credit for and sending Abram out of the country. Abram's lie brought him and his extended family to uh, exit Egypt, one which the servants, so remember, Abram had servants. They must have talked about this among themselves with some loss to Abraham's integrity, right? And so uh, his reputation in their eyes are now tarnished. Think about that so abram lies number 1 he he is treat as 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 the the husband uh degrading his wife abram trying to protect his own life and his own purposes uh puts her in a very bad spot she agrees but i don't think she has a choice uh pharaoh takes her in this is this is this is insane to us uh in this day and age. I mean, who would who would do this? So one thought that John Walton brings up in the story of Abram lying about Sarah or Sarai being his sister, although he doesn't agree, I think it was a it's a good theory to think about. So I'm not saying right or wrong, just want you to think about it. So they think that if the wife poses as a sister, now this is just a generalization, the patriarch, if the wife poses as a sister, the patriarch will be viewed as a party to negotiate with rather than an obstacle to be eliminated. This places Abram in a position to drive a hard bargain. And as we see, I think uh, verse 16, he was given uh, lots of goods. And so um, think about that as you ponder this story. Why in the world would Abram uh, lie about this? And no matter what you come out with on the other side, Um, We know that Abram was a human. He was a man, sinful in nature. And uh, him lying was not of God. Him lying was not of God. Yahweh never told him to lie, of course. He was trying to take it into his own hands and thought he knew better. We learn from the story that he does not. We see the Pharaoh, the monarch of Egypt, uh, having more character than this man who was just That God just made the everlasting covenant with. I mean, this is what you miss if you just gloss over the scripture. Really think about this. And then we see that Abraham has servants. Now, if you're a servant of Abram, what are you thinking about his character right now? What are the servants talking about? His people that are following him. He's the leader. Mr. God just made a covenant with me. Think about that so we know that abraham was half lying half telling the truth but you know what we tell our kids if 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 you didn't say all the truth if you only told us some of it uh then it's a lie and so abraham of course sarah was his half sister but she was i'm not going to say his half wife she was his wife in whole okay not in part and so when he uh lied he's trying to assist god So every time I try to assist God, quote-unquote, to establish his will and purpose and plans and promises for my life, uh, I'm going down the wrong road every single time. When I'm trying to take control and force it, it, it's never a good thing because why? Why am I trying to force it? Because it's my will, not his. Because if it's God's will, it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. God's not on my timing. Time was created for for us. God is not does not have a watch on um, if he says something if he does if he wills it to happen, it's going to happen. Learn this lesson from Abram, learn it from his wife Sarah, and apply it to our own walk with Christ. Now moving on to Genesis chapter 13 we see Abram and Lot. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. This is verse 2 of 13. Uh, so they're, they're journeying. And in verse 9, in verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. So what is happening? So Abram and Lot have a, a difference of opinion. Now, I want to remind you. This may be the uh, character of Abraham being questioned in the previous chapter, or this may just be Lot's desire to not follow Abraham and to go to where it, the where we all say the grass is greener on the other side. We see Abraham gladly called Lot, calls on Lot to select for himself whatever he desired for his household and his flocks. So with Abram's integrity. Uh, in character question this might have been an effect or the result of it or Lot just wanting to go where it seems the grass is greener so whatever the problem was okay Abram kind of reestablishes his character saying okay you choose whatever you think is best for you and your household and your livestock your people you go and I'll go the other way I'm not going we're not going to fight about it uh, just let you go. So this might have uh, re- restored, uh, in the eyes of the servants, of course, Abraham's servants, his integrity and reputation. Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that is was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zora underline or highlight the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt. Remember, Moses is over and over believed to be the author of the Pentateuch. So when Moses was writing 700 years after Abram came to Canaan, the devastation of that region had long before occurred by divinely initiated catastrophe. Genesis 19, 23 to 29. So imagine being an Israelite listening to Moses As he has written this down or he's telling the story, he's comparing Canaan uh, as like the garden of Eden, the garden of the Lord. And also he's comparing it to Egypt and they physically knew what the what Egypt uh, was was like. And so they knew exactly what Moses was comparing it to. So in conclusion, God does not ask Abram to give up anything He is not going to replace number one he is asked to leave his land but god promises um, to take him to a new land after he arrives there god says he will give him that land number two uh, walton uh, informs us abram is asked to leave his kinship group this means giving up the protection and security that a kins a kinship group provides He is leaving his roots and putting aside all of that is familiar to him. In return, he is offered a family that will become a great nation. Eventually, he is told that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Number three, Abram must also leave behind his father's household. I identify this, this is Walton speaking, I identify this as his inheritance. So in the ancient Near East... Household gods were passed down from generation to generation. There were ancestors to make offerings to and care for. Most important was the care for elderly parents and eventually their burial. The inheritance one received included not only material possessions and ownership of the land, but also taking care of one's place in the family line and appropriating the blessings that had been passed down through the family line. As Abram puts all of this behind him, God offers a threefold blessing for Abraham. God will bless him. He will be a blessing and he will be a channel of blessing. Hello, Book of Jude. If you enjoy listening to the Book of Jude podcast, be sure to subscribe to a listening platform. Also, head on over to Facebook, Book of Jude page, hit like and follow so you can get extra material. I post blogs and articles and just great information that i've collected over the years thank you for listening and supporting the book of jude god bless and as we look into the covenant uh theology between yahweh and abram i do not want you to be confused with replacement theology which i do not believe in uh It teaches that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan. And so um, this belief, the the Jews are no longer God's chosen people and God does not have a specific future plans for the nation of Israel. Replacement theology teaches that the church is the replacement for Israel and that the many promises made to Israel in the Bible are fulfilled in the Christian church, not in Israel. I'm coming um, from a more of a covenant theology, or the covenant of redemption, or the CR. So you might hear me say CR sometimes. Um, The covenant of redemption, it precedes the other two covenants according to covenant theology. So the CR is a covenant made among the three persons of the Trinity to elect, atone for, and and save a select group of individuals unto salvation and eternal life no you do not have to agree with my theology Um, the uh, theology is the study of god so anything that ends with ology study of and whatever is placed in in and before it Uh, so theology the study of god so the father chooses a bride for his son right so it doesn't the, why you can agree w- disagree with me is because it doesn't explicitly state in Scripture, you know, the covenant theology, the covenant of re- redemption, but um, it Scripture does explicitly state the eternal nature of the plan of salvation. So Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 14, Ephesians chapter 3, Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 2, Timothy 1, James chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Jesus often referred to his task as carrying out the Father's will. We see this in the book of John, John 5, John 6, John 17. That the salvation of the elect was God's intention from the very beginning of creation cannot be doubted. So the CR just formalizes this eternal plan in the language of covenant. So is covenant theology the same as replacement theology? No, no. It is not uncommon today to hear the argument advanced that covenant theology is anti-Semitic. So we're saying that we're going to replace the Jews. That's that's not it. So because it's erroneously accused of um, teaching the New Testament church replaces God's Old Testament people, ethnic Israel. So is replacement theology the same as covenant theology? No, absolutely not. Covenant theology emphasizes the unity of God's people uh, throughout redemptive history and denies the church, that the church is a distinct people of God that exists along his other people, ethnic Israel, as does the Bible. It does not teach that the church replaces Israel. Uh, Actually, on the contrary, it teaches that the church has been in existence ever since God first established his covenant of grace with Adam. And that while the church was composed of the believing remnant of national Israel during the Old Testament era, God's design was also to expand it and bring all nations into its fold, just as he promised Abraham, Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. And we see it again as Paul writes to the Galatians, Galatians 3, 7 to 9. Today, he has done that. We see that. Uh, his church is composed both of believing remnant of the Jewish nation, as it always has been. And also, it's also comprised of the believing remnant of the Gentiles. So Gentiles, me, and probably you, have been grafted in and made part of the same body. So Israel has not been replaced. It has just been expanded to include Abraham's children by faith from every nation on the earth. I invite you to read Ephesians 2, Galatians 2 and 3. Clear as mud, right? No, I want to be clear. Um, Most of this information uh, is from gotquestions.org and also from Monergism uh, 2008 is when this article was uh, posted. But it's very good information. It has a lot to do with what we're talking about in our study of Genesis. Thank you once again for listening to the Book of Jude. Some things I shared on the Book of Jude Facebook page this week, uh, the title, The Doctrine of God, by Dr. Bray. He says the Christian gospel is not just a message of suffering. It is a message of victory and salvation from suffering and death. This is not to deny that God understands our sufferings, but if he is our healer, we must respect his primary purpose. As we have already said, a hospital patient would not be greatly comforted by a doctor who got into the next bed and assured him that he understood the patient's sufferings because he had the same disease himself. The patient wants someone who understands, but who can also heal. Over-identification does not help in this. It only destroys the healer's credibility. Moreover the suffering and death of jesus had a particular purpose in the plan of god in which identification with us played only a secondary role the son came to do the will of the father which was to take our place on the cross this is not identification but substitution an important difference which must be which must not be obscured the sufferings of the christian may be said to involve an in identification with or imitation of the sufferings of Christ. But Christ did not come to share in our sufferings as such. He came to provide the answer to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Book of Jude audience, we are coming up on one year of this podcast. My goodness. One year ago, give or take a few days, I I posted I uploaded my first podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting, subscribing to uh, the podcast in various of ways, hitting like and following the Facebook Book of Jude Page, um, sharing it with your friends and family. I I want to do God's will. I want to use the gifts and information, more importantly, the information that God has allowed me to receive from others and and spread it um, to my family and friends, I never would have thought that I would be spreading this around the world, quite literally. It's, it's an amazing thing to see uh, you uh, hitting like and, and to kind of seeing your name and where you're listening from, literally all around the world. It is It is very humbling. I tell you that I sometimes record things and um, sometimes I'll delete it and, and edit it very heavily. I, I want to make sure I care about what's going out. And I know some of you are thinking, well, we've heard some of your jokes and obviously you don't. <laughs> if you don't find me funny, there's something wrong with you. But um, I want I, when it, when we come to theology, the study of God, and and I'm putting out that very important message of hope and faith in Jesus Christ, that is a big deal. And so I do not want to take that lightly at all. So I do re-listen to what I eventually upload, and, and it, when it gets to you, just know that I have done my best trying obviously I'm going to make errors uh done my best to give you something that you can uh, listen to and study and and grow in your walk with Christ and your relationship with him uh, with God the Father the Son the Holy Spirit I that's my prayer and so um, my ministry this is my ministry and I get great fulfillment from it not by numbers, not by audience, but I'm humbled when I see someone from South Africa listening, from Egypt, from the Philippines. This brings me great joy. So thank you, thank you, thank you. One year of the Book of Jude podcast, uh, there's a lot to celebrate there, and I probably would do it if only I had an audience of one uh, because I am... Um, sharing the gospel. So again, it's not about the the numbers. The numbers and the audience is only a humbling part of it to remind me of how important my role is in speaking uh, about God's word. So I encourage you to um, keep reading your Bible. This, this cannot be a substitute from your local church. This cannot be a substitute from your Bible reading and studying on your own. This is additional. So please, uh, what I'm doing is reading. the. I, my goal is to read the Bible through in one year. I hope you have a goal as well. Um, I hope that you listen, that I'm using a study Bible. I'm using commentaries. I'm using online resources like gotquestions.org. You can do this. I'm ask. I'm asked questions all the time, and to be quite honest, if I don't know the answer, if I have not researched it, I go to a commentary. I go to my study Bible. I go to um, Ligonier Ministries. I go to um, books that I have or gotquestions.org. Normally, probably 99.99% of the time, you can do this as well and find your answer. And so um, I was asked a question recently about generational curses and if it's a real thing or not. And this person, I'm not going to name names, but this person was hurting. This person was um, hurting, uh, believing uh, generational curses because their church preaches this stuff. Um, And so we're going to, I'm going to talk about that. We may do it next time. I'll talk about generational curses, but... Most of these things um you, you know I'm not telling you to just google it and and have whatever comes to you comes to you. do your research, spend your time if i have <clears throat> if I have one commentary that doesn't mean I don't look at another commentary that doesn't look you look at multiple resources, some things that I talk about you know in this episode, I talked about covenant theology. Uh, you may not believe in that. That's okay. That's okay because that's that's my theology, right? Um, my The study Bible that I have, the eschatology view in the study Bible, I do not agree with. That's okay. I know what I believe, uh, but it's not bad to learn from others. That's what I think uh, this world is um, not doing so well, uh, not listening to others. Excuse me. I think uh we need to do a better job and it starts with us. It starts with us. We need to do a better job of closing our mouths and listening with our ears the other person's viewpoint, theology, thoughts. Um because we always all of us come into a an an agreement, a conversation, a disagreement, a, a debate. We always come into it with our presuppositions. We can't get away with that. If if I read a, I was just telling my daughter. If I read a commentary, uh, well, I I also have to know the the author of that commentary, the person behind it, because that person is coming into it with their presuppositions. I'm always a fan of authors saying. Okay, when it comes to eschatology, right, the science of last things, so the end of days and all of that, um, here's a view, here's a view, here's another view, and this is my view. I love when when teachers do that. They, they put out the entire information. They put out every view because none of us, none of us at the end of the day since the the creation of Adam. <laughs> None of us can say, okay, this is what's going on. When Jesus showed up, they all thought that it was the uh what we would uh commonly refer to as the second coming of Christ. They thought he was about to take over and the Romans were about to get it. And so um so even even those who walk with Jesus, so uh I I want to pray for you. Um, If you have prayer requests, as always, please message me. Message the book of Jude. and um, Love to pray for you. Love to know how you're doing, especially on the other side of the world. My goodness. Um, Man, it it is such a... uh, I have to be able... You know, we have cultural differences. And so, although most of my audience is U.S., Uh, I have to know that when we speak of certain things, like, for example, today we spoke of Abraham telling, um, treating his wife as as a negotiating, uh, a negotiating tool or treating his wife as less than um, if that's in fact what he was doing. Um, We and I, I remember saying, well, that's crazy. I can't believe anybody would do that. Well, we get there's cultures that still do that today, and so I have to be very careful. Um, so um, please, those of you outside of the U.S., outside of the culture, and listen, I'm not. If you have a different culture than me in the U.S., I'm just I'm just saying that if I say something that may be uh, that I may not understand because I was born in the U.S., raised in the U.S., still live there, right? Now I've I've visited other countries and see how other countries run but um if I miss something man I bet you have an insight that I I could never um I could never have so please by all means if you have something uh let me know um message the book of Jude I'll get it and I will definitely uh respond to you more importantly if you have prayer requests of course I will pray for you so I've rambled on long enough. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Book of Jude. Remember we're going to continue going through genesis um uh, not verse by verse, but uh certain scenarios and then we're going to pick back up um with the big book of uh Bible difficulties by geiser and how uh the problem passages and before I go, I just want I just came across my wife did she showed me my very first sermon that I preached, <laughs> um, my very first sermon that I preached, I was 16, I think, and my goodness, what was my local church thinking, letting me get up there and preach, because uh, every time I I remember, every time that I practiced, went over, I have an outline here, it's it's right in front of me, every time I went over it, I'm, we're talking 45 solid minutes of, of preaching, But, um, once I got up there, uh, I, I was done 11 minutes. I was done. (laughs) Uh, but it was about, um, Matthew 25. It was about, uh, verse 35 to 40. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so I talked about the good, I preached on the good Samaritan. And so, um, wow. So I'm just looking at this here and, um, yeah it is it is uh crazy. It is very incredible to look back and see where God has brought me and and the journey and the path that God has brought me on. What's your story? Never ever forget how God began to use you and how God continues to use you as a tool. I always say I don't want to be the rusty tool at the bottom of the toolbox. I want to be um I want to be the the tool that he continuously uses. I don't want to be the brand new tool that that doesn't doesn't know what work is in the gospel, right? But I want to be the the used tool that he has to maintenance and take care of because he wants to continue to use me. And so we are vessels, we are here for his purpose and will. So think about that as we close today. Think about how God has used you. And um, don't make your way to the bottom of the tool chest. Don't be the rusty one. Don't be the brand new one. Be the one that he has to maintenance and continue to use for his glory, for his will, for his purpose, not ours. With that, I leave you. Thank you for listening to the book of Jude. God bless. Man was directly created by God in his image and his likeness. Man was created free of sin with a rational nature, intelligence, volition, self-determination, and moral responsibility to God. God's intention in the creation of man was that man should glorify God, enjoy God's fellowship, live his life in the will of God, and by this accomplish God's purpose for man in the world. In Adam's sin of disobedience to the revealed will and word of God, man lost his innocence, incurred the the penalty of spiritual and physical death, became subject to the wrath of God, and became inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of choosing or doing that which is acceptable to God apart from divine grace. With no powers to recover himself, man is hopelessly lost. Man's salvation is thereby holy of God's grace through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because all men were in Adam, a nature corrupted by Adam's sin has been transmitted to all men of all ages. Jesus Christ, our savior, is the only exception. All men are thus sinners by nature, by choice, and by divine declaration salvation is holy of god by grace on the basis of the redemption of jesus christ the merit of his shed blood and not on the basis of human merit or works